Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. Well, good morning, Woodside. How are you? Good. It's so great to see all of you. If you join us online, thank you for joining us as well. It's a great day. I hope you're excited. I am well caffeinated and pumped and ready to go. I drove home from Florida, or from Ohio this morning. My daughter's had a, a tournament down there and still down there, so I drove home just Bowling Green area. Drove in this morning and uh, had a great time. It's awesome. I like those mornings where I have a, a little bit of a drive and just praying and ask God to use me and open up our hearts and minds to what he has to say to us. Um, so I'm ready to go. I hope you are. If you want to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, that's where we're going to be this morning. If you've been gone for a period of time or you weren't here the last couple of weeks, we started a new series after Easter on the topic of generosity, giving, uh, called Overflow. And we've been processing through uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, some of the most... Uh, fruitful, amazing scriptures on generosity and giving within the church uh, that, that is, is there, that, that is in the New Testament. And so it's been fun. It's been great. It's been maybe a little bit convicting to myself included as we process and what it looks like for us to be a generous, overflowing people as Jesus has been so good to us and giving us his life, the most generous person in all of history, uh, his life, and out of that overflow should come from us and to other people. And even as I was, I was preparing for today, I was just thinking, processing myself a little bit, and, and what, what I'm reading today, what we're gonna read together, reminds me of times in my life where I have had the Spirit of God move in my heart, maybe convicted me or spurred me or pricked my heart a little bit to do something, and then I lacked in follow-through. You ever had one of those moments? You just kind of feel like God's leading you to do something, and you didn't follow through. You didn't kind of like step in and actually engage. Maybe it's, hey, uh, God called you, or you felt the Lord lead you to write someone a letter, and you're like, man, I know that God's calling me to do this, but then you just kind of, over time, you fail to process. Maybe you're driving down the road, you've read those moments, someone's on the side of the road, you're like, man, I should really pull over and help these people. And then quickly, your mind goes, ah, they got AAA, there's other people that will stop, it's all good, I'm sure they're fine. But in that moment, the Spirit of God is leading you. Maybe there's a moment or you've been, like, you felt God uh, ask you to apologize to your spouse for something that happened many years ago. But over time, you're like, ah, it was 10 years ago. It's no big deal. I don't want to bring it up and have another thing. Maybe it's, hey, God's pressed into your heart and life to invite your neighbor over to dinner. Like, it's really hard to be able to share the gospel or show the gospel to a neighbor you don't even know. So what does it look like? And you're like, man, I feel like God's calling me uh, after today to go and invite my neighbor over, but then time goes on, you get busy, and you just kind of lack in follow through. I think it happens to all of us. When the Spirit of God impresses on our hearts and our conscience are convicted to press forward or press into something, imagination is sparked, but then we fail to act or finish or bring it to completion. And it's kind of exactly what we're looking at in the text today in 2 Corinthians 8, starting in verse 10. 
The whole time, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, if you haven't been here for a bit, in the church of Corinth, and, and he's writing them because a year prior, they felt compelled, as the Apostle Paul is gathering up um, an offering to take to the church in Jerusalem from many different churches because they're in great need. And so the year before, they were like, yes, we're in, but now they're kind of lacking in follow-through. They don't want to step in for a number of different reasons, questioning the Apostle Paul's authority and all this different stuff. And so he's compelling them to follow through in what they said they felt the Spirit of God leading them to do. And so today, some of what we're going to talk about is just going to be practicality with us in the second half. We're going to talk about giving and partnership. And this is what I want you to get, that ready giving excels with reliable partnership. Ready giving in the church excels with reliable partnership. What I mean by that is the, the generosity of the church often excels when it's partnered with reliable partnership in the leadership of the church in, in oneness moving forward. And we see that in, in our text today as God, yes, calls us to be generous, but also the leaders of the church are called uh, to handle the generosity of the church Honorably and above reproach as uh, we move forward, as Woodside strives to do. And so we want to look at just a couple practical ways, a couple practical things from our text today, and how we can excel in, in generosity and giving as we partner together as the church in leadership and the congregation as we press forward. So if you want to look in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 10. See, the, the first thing is fulfill your eagerness. This is what the Apostle Paul is calling the people of Corinth to do, is to fulfill the eagerness that they had in their heart. Let's read it together. In verse 10, And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago, he's calling on it, this is what happened a year ago, a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. Verse 12, for if, for if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need. There's this partnership that happens, that there may be fairness. In verse 15, as it is written, as he quotes the Old Testament, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no like, and he's calling them to fulfill this eagerness as he continues to appeal the, the church in Corinth to gather this offering that he's really passionate about to be taken to the church of Jerusalem to help them with their needs. And, and he's writing to them, and he brings up this amazing church over and over again, as he has in the past in Macedonia, that is this poverty-stricken church, but somehow they've grown up in a wealth of generosity. And he gives this example of an extreme poverty, um, exceeding joy equals a, a ton or generous living. And he continues to go down that road as he compels them to fulfill this eagerness. That a year before, they were like, yes, we're in. The Spirit of God moved in their hearts and like, yes, we want to do this. We want to help. We want to move forward. Much like we feel oftentimes in life as we're going about life and we feel the Spirit of God moving in our hearts. But as I said in the beginning, many times, I don't know about you, you get cold feet. Time goes on. A year goes by for sure. They're processing a little bit and the, the Apostle Paul is calling them to fulfill this eagerness. Like, move forward. Step in. I think parents do this oftentimes with their kids. 
as we, uh, similar tactics, try to convince our children to do something they really should do, and really deep down they probably want to do, but we try to convince them, like, hey, man, uh, if you want to be this basketball player, you want to be a good basketball player? Man, you, you want to be like Michael Jordan, you have to eat your vegetables. Like, so we use these tactics, like, it's something that they really want to do, but they don't really know that it's good for them, and we're calling them with eagerness to continue processing and move forward, and we use these tactics. The same thing the Apostle Paul is saying, man, you said this, you want to do this, follow through with what you want to do. Eat your vegetables. So he goes on, as he's writing to them, that giving is something that they should be, and we should be eager to do. I'm helping you get there, is what he's saying. I'm just trying to get you to cross the finish line. This whole text is about desire and eagerness. That they are desiring to do this. The, the Apostle Paul didn't put this in their heart, and they were eager to do it, and he wants them to fulfill that as he goes line by line, text by text. But what motivates them really matters. Do you ever know that? What motivates you in all that you do really matters. How you relate to your boss or coworkers or your spouse or family members or even God, it actually matters. So I would ask you this morning, like, what brought you to church online? What, what brought you to, to log in or, or, or watch the service online? What, what brought you to that place? Was it just a sense of duty? Because duty motivates people. There's countless people every Sunday that walk into the doors of church just out of duty. It's something that I know that I need to do. Maybe, maybe, maybe today the reason you're here is because of fear. Like, man, if I don't go to church at least twice a month, God's going to flip my car over as I go down the road. So, like, I better be at church at least 50% of the time. And, and fear motivates people for sure. But is that the thing that should motivate us? I mean, lots of other things motivate us. Pride. There's countless people that show up to church on Sunday just out of pride. Like, man, I haven't missed a Sunday this year. The only reason I did is because of the pandemic. God, aren't you impressed? Or the people around us, it's pride. It's what the Pharisees wrestled with. Pride motivates, not just in church, in life. And these things are great motivators, but man, there's something that's longer lasting and motivating, obviously in Christ, is our motivation. But what he's talking about here, this motivation of desire, genuine inner desire placed by the Spirit of God in each one of us is something that should motivate us. That if you're here today and you call yourself a follower of Jesus, there's the Spirit of God living in you, and that's what motivates us. It presses on our hearts. And we're like, man, what is that? Why am I compelled to do this? It's the Spirit of God moving in our lives. What's fascinating to me in chapters 8 and 9, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, there is very little imperatives. You know what I mean by that? Obviously, the, that the Apostle Paul is not commanding people to do stuff. Out of all the verses in chapter 8 and chapter 9, when he's talking about generosity, really giving within the church, there is one imperative in chapter 8 and verse 11. One. You would think, like the Apostle Paul, this guy's a heavy hitter. He just starts saying, you need to do this, you need to do this. Give, be generous, do this with your money. But I said from the very beginning, he doesn't want to uh, motivate them, and I want to motivate you, not by duty, guilt, or shame. He wants to motivate them by the Spirit of God. He wants to motivate them by the gospel. He wants to motivate them by the example of Jesus, as we talked about last week. Though he was rich, he became poor, that we might become spiritually rich. He doesn't want to command or tell, because this whole text, over and over again, he's reminding them to follow 
through, but follow through with joy. I, I talk about it like this. Um, you know, I meet with a number of people, just as a pastor, you meet with a lot of different people, and people will say, man, I feel like God has called me to do this. And, and I ask them a lot of times, if I remember, I want to make sure that they articulate what they are saying that the Spirit of God is telling them. Because then when I call them or I see them at church and I was like, hey, how's it going like with, with what you were talking about? You told me you wanted to be a better husband, so how's that going? Man, you told me you were going to be a better spiritual father to your children. What's that look like and how's it going? Man, you told me that you wanted to stop struggling with acts and walk in freedom. This, How's that going? Because what happens is when they tell me what the Spirit of God told them, it's not spiritual policing now, it's spiritual partnership. I'm not policing them. That's my, my job as a pastor is not to police people. My job as a pastor is to partner. But when they tell me, this is what God told me to do, I'm like, great, you articulate. Now I want to walk with you, and I'm going to partner with you because you told me you wanted to walk this way. This is exactly what's happening here. They're saying, man, we want to be a generous church. We want to do this. And the apostle Paul is walking along with them, not policing them, but partnering them, spurring them on to love and good works that they said the Spirit of God placed in their heart. And he's calling them to do it with joy. Like, don't do it begrudgingly. As I said the last couple of weeks, don't leave this place dragging your feet. Jim told me I have to, so I have to. Like, that's not what God calls us to. Be generous in life with joy. Serve in the church with joy. Well, I guess they need another kid's person. Josh is going to... You know, lose it down there if we don't have more kids people to help. No, serve with joy. Read the word of God with joy. To wake up with joy. That it's not like, man, I have to do this. No, with joy, open the word of God and allow it to impact your life. This is what he's calling us to. Man, it's just like you, 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 you come to your wife, it's your anniversary, and man, I, I had to get you flowers. Well, thank you. Totally appreciate it so loving of you. Or you come to me like, I was afraid of you, so I got you flowers. <laughs> then you end up in my office, and we're talking. I mean, whatever it may be, I have to. But if they come, and you know that they really want to, and they say, I really want to, I really love you. You know that's what the Lord is like? Like, you can put on a fake smile and cut a check to an organization or a church or serve or go on a short-term missions trip or do whatever you, or read your Bible, and you can be like, yeah, this is so good. But your heart can be like, I gotta do this. It's like I'm looking at the Lord and be like, I was afraid of you because I don't want you to be mad at me. I guess I have to. And what the Lord said is like, it should, what the Lord has done for us should spur joy in us to respond in generosity being ready and eager and having a desire for it. But it moves on, and he also wants, to, he wants us to know to give according to our proportion or what God has given us. I think this is just super practical here for just a second. Um, I think this is one of the more important principles on giving in the New Testament as it relates how much you are called to be generous with. And now we're like, oh boy, here we go. You know, people are always talking about like, hey, how much should we give? Is it 10%? You know, um, should we give that? Or where does it talk about in the Bible and the Old Testament? It doesn't talk about tithing and it's 10%. Yes, absolutely it does. But it's interesting. The principle of tithing in the Old Testament is never restated in the New Testament church. Do you know that? It's never restated. Now we're like, sweet, I'm out. 
don't have to do anything. This is fascinating. No, it's amazing when you look at it. And if you look in, in verse 12, and I'll read a couple other passages, there's many in, it's this idea of proportion of what you have been given. Look, it says in verse 12, for if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has. That the Lord wants to give me to come out of a genuine desire from proportion to what the Spirit of God has led us to. I mean, the, the, the first book of Corinthians, first letter in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, it talks about this readiness of gathering the collection for the church in Jerusalem. It says this, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside something and store it up as he may prosper. He's not giving numbers and laws. He's just saying, according to what God has blessed you, to, well, blessed you with. Just a couple of uh, verses before we read ours, in 2 Corinthians 8, 3, he's talking about the Macedonians, for they gave according to their means. And I even testify beyond their means. There's this idea of proportion that like what the Lord has blessed me with, he's called me to be responsible with. And what's beautiful is, is I don't need a law. Sure, it's a great starting point and there's nothing ungodly about doing it, but I don't need a law that I can check off and just move on with life. Rather, God has placed the spirit of God in my heart, in my soul to lead and guide me to where sometimes he's gonna ask me to be more generous or move in a certain way. And it's more involved that I don't just, check off a list and go to bed because it comes out of my account the first Sunday of the month. Rather, I actually have to pray and seek the Lord and walk with the Lord. And every day when I walk out of my house, I say, Lord, how am I called to be generous today? Lead me and guide me. I want to press into you. I want to hear from you because there's a relationship. It's just not a list of laws for me to follow. And what's more beautiful? Just checking something off or living out of, choosing to live out of our identity in Christ, which he already used the week before, that my identity is formed in generosity, that though he was rich, he became poor, that I might become rich. And then the Spirit of God presses into each one of our hearts and says, now it's on you. Walk. Live. Breathe. In light of that identity, because if that is your true identity, you will actually live that, right? At some point, think, like, this is awesome. Scripture says to give according to what I have, and unfortunately, I don't have much. It's okay. The beauty of Scripture is the gospel frees us to be content with what we have and become good stewards with what we have. And in that, God will maybe entrust us with more, as he even writes, you have been faithful over little with I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of the master in Matthew 25. Man, our desires shouldn't be like, God, give me a million dollars so I can be generous. No, our desires should be like, Lord, how do I live with what you've given me right now to be a good steward of what you've given me? And by God's grace, he might grow that stewardship. But God's called me to be generous in the moment with what I have now. And again, if you're new today, I'm not just talking about generosity here. I'm talking about life. You live life out there six days a week. What does it look like out there too? as a generous people. Finally, he goes on to uh, that generosity should be equitable. Look with me in verse 13. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. Now hold on for a moment. 
As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Now, I just want to talk about this super practically for a moment, because a lot of times this is taken very much out of context. So it's difficult for us to understand this in our Western uh, context, but there's a, there's a reason, a number of reasons why the, this special offering is super important to the Apostle Paul. He, he genuinely wanted to help the church in Jerusalem, but also he's always looking for an increasing way to join the unity between Gentiles and Jews and their congregations. And so he's calling on a Gentile congregation to be generous with a Jewish congregation that there might be unity that is formed there. And he says, I don't want it to be a burden you giving away your resources, while at the same time, we want to be generous with the church in Judea. So Paul here is aiming at fairness. Now hold on to a minute. The goal is not equality. What he's talking about here is equity. He's not talking about equality, that I have more and you have less, therefore I need to give you so much so that we have the same. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about equality here. What he's talking about is equity, that if I have access and by some means I'm able to, as the Spirit of God leads me, to bless this because I have access, that is equity. Now, he uses this fascinating illustration, if you read it, at the, uh, verse 15, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered, whoever gathered little had no lack. There's quotations because he's quoting from the Old Testament. The people of Israel leave Egypt. They're wandering by the hand of God leading them in the wilderness for 40 days. And they're provided for by the supernatural hand of God as manna, like frosted flakes, is falling from heaven. Okay? And it's fascinating when you read it. Some gathered more and some gathered less. Now read uh, Exodus 16. This is important. In verse 18, it says this. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. So some gathered more, some gathered little. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. Did you notice they didn't have the same equality, but everyone had exactly what they needed, equity. This is what he is saying. He is not saying it's socialism. That it'd be fair that everybody has the same. Socialism would be like the government takes all that we have and distributes it evenly. No, he's talking about God-driven, gospel-driven generosity where you decide what you do with God has blessed you. But what's going to help you decide is what's going to inform the way that you live is the example that God gave us his own son, the most generous act in history, and that Jesus gave himself that we would be rich because we were poor. And out of that, he says, I want Want you to give in light of that with joy not just that man it's on you so just do whatever you want no these things are called to inform us this principle of proportion and equity and eagerness with joy let me ask you are, are these principles things that help you to determine your generosity in life proportion equity where your heart is with joy if I ask, like, I, I, again, I hope you know that I wrestle with this before I tell you because it's one of the hardest things about being a pastor is I have to tell you all something that, the God, that God wants me to tell you all the while I struggle with it myself. So it's hard to tell people passionately what to do with yourself that you struggle to do yourself because I'm human. But I, I ask these same questions. Is, is my giving, is my generosity eager and proportionate 
and equitable? Do I do it with joy? Or do I just like, okay, fine. Well, Paul moves on, and this is where it's kind of really practical that the second thing we see is follow through with reliability. In our day, uh, a lot of people ask for money, don't they? Your alma mater will ask for money. Hospitals will ask for money. Nonprofits ask for money. Organizations ask for money. Churches ask for money. Now, now what's fascinating, in the Roman world, asking to give a, a portion of money like this to be taken to a different location some 800 miles away was not common at all. And so the Apostle Paul is super careful with the way that he's formulating his argument and his appeal to the church in Corinth. He knows that he's right. He knows that the Spirit of God is leading him. He knows that the Lord is the model for this, but he still needs to win over the congregation for them to follow through. And so the Apostle Paul is super careful and super articulate about the, being crystal clear about the monies that they're giving, how they're going to be handled in a manner that is above reproach, so that they're not guessing, hey, these guys we don't know coming from 800 miles away, they're taking this money that we're given, we have no clue what happens. So he begins to draw up this, these people and talk about me. So he starts with Titus and says, man, I've authorized him to be my representative to deliver these funds. And so he's saying, man, the, 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 the Titus is earnest in his heart. God's placed this earnestness to travel some 800 miles to come and help with this. This is what he says in verse 16. But thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. He's building it together like I had care for you. And somehow God put the same care in Titus' heart. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. Their eagerness to be generous, and he had an eagerness to lead in the moment. He was zealous, zealous for the gospel, for this grace-motivated pursuit of helping the church in Jerusalem. I think it's really important uh, for leaders to be above reproach, for leaders to lead in that way. I've been at Woodside for almost 14 years, and I've always been blown away. The reason why I'm still here and I haven't left this place is because the leadership of our church, what it's been, what it's seen, what, I, what, I, what the joy I've seen in, in them being above reproach, humility, and walking together. Every two times a month, I meet with all the other campus pastors and the leadership of the church, and what I sense... I, I, always is this beautiful brotherhood and humility from the top down, from Pastor Chris and, and through our other pastors and, and, and uh, executive staff and, and team members, is that there's this eagerness to be above reproach, to walk with humility and lead God's church with where God has called us. And so I, I'll, I'll ask again at the end, actually, but I, I always compel, and I don't ask people enough, pray for the leadership of your church. If this is your church, and pray for the leadership of the church. Me and myself, or myself and others, we're just men and women that somehow God has asked to lead in a specific way, but we're broken, sinful saints as well. And we're not susceptible, or we're susceptible to anything uh, that you're susceptible to. And God is calling us to be faithful church, and it starts with leadership, right? Um, he goes on, and he talks about two other matters. He says that it should be done honorably and in partnership with the church. Look what it says in verse 18. With him, Titus, we're sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. I'll just tell you right now. We don't know who this guy is, but what? And what, 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 if you were talked about in Scripture, wouldn't you want this is the way you want it to be? He's famous among all the churches for preaching the gospel. We don't know your name, but that's awesome. 
And not only that, in verse 19, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this gift that is being ministered by us. For we aim, this is our aim, at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of men. Their heart is to be above reproach. So there's these two brothers that are accompanying Titus that Paul tasks with this. We don't even know their name, but what's clear is Paul explains the process. He's telling them, then this is how it's going to work. We want to make sure you're above reproach. Like uh, They're famous among the church. They're well-known. They're appointed by the church. We didn't just handpick these guys to do it because we're doing something that isn't right. And we want to make sure that we don't cost blame and we're above reproach. We're honorable, honorable in all that we do. There's this beautiful interplay between the church and the people that is here that saying, man, this is a partnership as we go forward. Look what it says in verse 22. And with them we are sending our brother whom we have often tested and found earnest. You see what he's saying? He wants to make sure that they know that these are God-given people, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you, that this brother's earnest to make the journey. Can I just tell you, oftentimes we don't see this in the text because we don't dive deep enough, but man, this guy that's earnest, you wouldn't want to be this guy. To travel back then would have been very dangerous and many times not very pleasant. To travel some 800 miles, this guy somehow got put in his heart for him to be earnest to help in this process. And they're like, man, we found this guy and he actually wants to do it. And we know him well to travel and come to you. It's super important for them as the church to process this all together. And this is what I said from the very beginning. And this is where we see it, that ready giving excels the reliable, uh, excels with reliable partnership. That there's this reliable partnership that ready giving should come when we're in reliable partnership together as the church, as we walk together as a family. And, and even in this moment, I want to invite you, like every year we have something called our annual celebration. It's our annual business meeting. Pre-COVID, there'd be like 10 or 15,000 people at all of our locations across Metro Detroit. And then we're talking about, man, come together. We're going to vote about the leadership of the church and we're going to vote about the budget. And like 1,000 people show up. But it's also this amazing, beautiful time where we worship together and we, we, we sing and we celebrate stories of how people's lives have been impacted. And we hear about where God's taking us in the future. And it's super important, this right here, because we vote on the spiritual leadership of our church, our elders and our deacons. And you might be like, Jim, why are you telling me all this? I'm telling you because our church is governed overseen by men across 14 different locations that Pastor Chris, myself, and the other pastors submit ourselves to in partnership as we walk with them because we're not someone who doesn't need to be above reproach. Every month, we as elders meet together and we give a report to the lay elders in the church and say, this is what's happening. This is what's happening financially. This is where we're going as a church because we need to partner with the church and that's one practical way we do it. So there's two points just as we close. I'm going to ask you again first to pray for the leadership of your church. It's super important. Can I call you as our people in this location to pray for our senior pastor, Pastor Chris Brooks? I don't know if you all understand what he probably goes through in the last year in leading a church like Woodside, multifaceted, multi-campus, 
and also in a time where you really can't please anyone. Every decision we'll make will upset half of you and it'll please half of you in this season. That's weighing on, the, on someone with a young family. Pray for Pastor Chris. Pray for me. Pray for the leadership. Pray for our directors. Pray for our staff. Pray for the elders. There's a spiritual partnership as we walk together. You know, we hear in the, in, in the word of God that, man, that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Can I tell you, he's seeking more than just devouring an individual. He would love to devour a church congregation. Pray that Woodside, as people, that as the leaders of the church, we don't fall to the cultural pressures around us to, to lose sight of the gospel. Pray that we as a church wouldn't nitpick over small issues that are non-gospel issues because nothing Satan wants more in this season is to split unity in a church because we're, we're called to walk together as a church. Pray for the church leadership as we move forward. This is not a time to take a back seat in the kingdom of God. This is a time where God is calling us to step in to the kingdom of God because there is much ground to be taken as Jesus calls us. And the second thing I would say is, finish the burden God's given you to use your resources for the kingdom of God and his glory. Finish the burden. Paul drives this point home in this section over and over again. Eagerness that they had with their mouths to follow through with their actions. As he writes, so now finish doing it as well so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.